Hello and welcome everybody to Everything Paranormal Podcast Show 2021, Episode 9! Holy crap! <laughs> I'm your host, Paramike, and sitting in the deep dark dungeon of Everything Dark News, she is the gothic queen of everything. <laughs> She's the guru of movies that she likes and movies that where she will stick her foot in your ass because you <laughs> suck at it. She is the lovely... I'm Paralor. That's right. Episode 9 and we are going to kick it off. Yep. And we're only nine days into November... And we already have a new president. Finally. Joe Biden! Actually shows uh, voters actually uh, know actually how to think. Yeah. That's surprising. Joe Biden. I know Biden. I saw something on Twitter um, about uh, the people that, uh, or might as well say uh, dump supporters are saying they're going to move out of the country and move to Hawaii. <laughs> That's not out of the country. No. That's Hawaii. still in the United States, you fucking morons. <laughs> you uneducated leaving Nazi country, bastards. Leaving the country would be going overseas somewhere. Yeah. You fucking but even Nazis. people overseas are fucking happy he's, he's, he's no longer in power. Yeah. He's it, so fucked. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so fucked. But... We don't talk about that shit on here, but for this time, we're actually happy that the orange motherfucker Nazi's gone. That terrorist bastard. Well, but anyways. Well, I did say, um, due to the fact you were uh, actually watching the freaking voting thing, which I don't know why you were, but I actually remember you saying if Biden actually wins, then maybe. I'll actually vote. No. I said if Biden wins and this fucking murdering Nazi terrorist loses, I was going to throw a fucking party. That's all I said. I wasn't going to vote. Well, you you didn't t- say that, but I did. I'm not voting. I still don't trust these idiots. I don't either. But anyway, I'm just happy. Let's see what how Biden does. Oh, he already has issues. He's already going to end up having issues on day one. Oh, yeah, I know. Because of a lot of Republicans that backed up dumbass. Yeah, I know. But anyways. But he's already talking executive order to overthrow those idiots. Oh, yes. I can't (laughs) wait for that. But anyways, we're going to get into some more urban legends. And uh, I got some other news to talk about. And everything, and you have some stuff to continue on yes. to try to still finish out Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I got Fortunately. a little bit more I can do. Yeah, and from episode eight, now let me explain something. From episode eight, I had to split it into yeah. two parts. So episode eight, part one, and episode eight, part two, because it was too big for our distributors or distributors. Yeah. Sorry. 
uh, because the files were too big, so I had to split it in half. And I also had to do it for our YouTube channel. Now, when you were in the other office area... Yeah. I was on my Facebook page uh-huh. uh, for our show. Yeah. And one person, of course, what you normally get saying, Oh, the page is not there. Yeah. I, I, I talked to that person. I said, okay, what did you do exactly? Did you click on the picture? Uh-huh. Did you click underneath the picture? Or did you click the white little circle with a squiggly eye in it? Uh-huh. I clicked on the squiggly little eye and it's not there. Has to be fucking Ronnie from fucking Tennessee Paranormal. I'm going to say this. And I guess I'm going to have to put it into the description on YouTube. Yep. I'm going to have to guess I got to put it on to the Facebook page, the Facebook group yep. as a notice. And I guess I'm going to have to put it on our podcast sites. Do not click on... The little squiggly eye on the upload of our podcast show on Facebook. You fucking brainless morons that are supposed to have a decent education, but yet obviously you don't, you (laughs) Nazi bastards. Click on the image of our banner that's up on the thing, or click below it to where the link is. If it says anchor.fm, you click on that. If it's the picture of a microphone with the flames in the background, you fucking moron fairies, you click on that. Stop clicking on the eye. If it's a YouTube link to our YouTube channel, and you see the little squiggly eye on you on um, Facebook page. Don't click on the little squiggly eye. Click on the photo, or click below it, or click the link above the photo. You inbreds, and it will take you to the page. Okay. And if you still can't do it, get the fuck off the internet, you morons! God, you people piss me off. I don't even know how the hell you graduated high school or college. Shit, I went to... I had fucking special needs classes, and I fucking graduated. Yeah. Went to college fucking twice. Look what it fucking got me. Yeah. I've graduated high school. I went through a so-called college. Yeah. 2016, I've had a tumor. Yeah. Lost every knowledge in computers I've had. Took me, what, a year and a half to two years to figure out computers again? And at least I know what the fuck I'm doing? Yeah. And I know what a little squeakly eye on Facebook means. Means means uh, never click it again. Yeah. From the first time. What he means by uh, the fairies, he's not talking about um, my friends that are... Uh, with the LGBTQ. No, you people got brains. Oh, yeah. You guys have educations. 
and fucking really good goddamn clothing design <laughs> ideas. I would love to see what you guys can do for in clothing wise for a straight guy. I would love to see that. Be surprised. I'd be the first motherfucker to buy something from you guys. <laughs> Trust me. As but long it's as just it's not from my brother. <laughs> that was just creepy. <laughs> I still can't figure out how to shut that off yet. But oh well. But the only time that I could understand pressing on a on a squiggly eye is if you're on YouTube. That I could understand. Yeah. Fortunately for my our page on YouTube, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that to link up other shows. Like, you know, when I could say, hey, if you missed this episode, just go up to the squiggly eye here and just click on that and go back to the other show. But I don't know how to do that yet. I'm working on it still. I'm still trying to learn YouTube uh, due to the fact I'm still new to that portion of it. Yeah. And everything. And unlike everybody else, they already know it and they've been on there for years doing videos. I'm just starting to learn how to do videos. Yeah, we don't have the fucking money to freaking pay for a fucking streaming service. Yeah, no shit. Let alone, I've never done um, videos like I do now. Yeah. Due to the fact I'm still learning and I have a, like a free software from Wondershare. And they only give you certain amounts of free stuff. Yeah. And everything. And then I have to figure out, I was like, okay, how do I create this? How is this going to work? Um, I had to figure out, okay, how long is the show? You know, and just make sure I get it perfect for the entire video for YouTube. Yeah. It's tough. Very. Something really new to me, and I'm still learning. I'm still trying to get it packed down. It's tough. But free versions, I love, but just I need more stuff. I want to keep it interesting. But anyways, now I need to get off my soapbox. <laughs> And everything. And, and get the Merkins into... actually sent me a message on Twitter. Really? I just got it in my uh, my email. Ooh. Oh, yes. Uh, speaking of that, um, Paralord does have a Twitter account. Um, I did add it to her website. Uh, EverythingParanormal.gear.host backslash ep.html when you go there just look for the little dude with a plus sign in our menu bar click on it scroll down to you see paralore's picture and right next to her picture is her twitter feed just click on the link and you can leave her a twitter message well right now the merkins uh i can actually read the message on my email uh, they're currently busy. Uh-oh. But they're doing a lot of projects right now. Ah. Um, they will actually um, come on our show for um, for not just an interview, but uh, just to sit back and chill. Ah, nice. Co- basically contact him uh, later on. Ah. That's Probably awesome. the beginning of the next year. Ah, okay, cool. 
These guys are funny as shit. Oh, they're funny, but they're really, really good. Literally, we just I, I just watched one of the dudes' uh, videos from the Merkins, uh, which was fucking hilarious, but really dead on to the group Guns and Roses. Yeah. Um, which you, did, you which thought was, was hilarious. Poison. You thought it was poison. I did at first. <laughs> then I was wrong. So I take that back. But it the dude sounded just like the dude from Guns N' Roses. I thought it was poison, but it was funny. And little baby Yoda being slashed. That was cute. But dead on to the point. It was awesome. I would have loved to put their videos on our website and on the podcast show just here and there for breaks. It would be awesome. But enough of that. I'm getting off track here. We got some stories to do. Yep. Uh, should we shoot it to you or should we shoot it to this funny story from Urban Legends that we laughed on? Hang on. Uh uh-uh. Well, I have to finish off um, the things you didn't know about Halloween 2007. Oh, okay. So we throw it over to the Dark World news desk of Halloween continues. I don't know what the hell he just sounded like. Smeagol, uh, out of bad drugs. Smeagol, these drugs. Smeagol, these drugs. Anyways, I don't know if I, uh, ended with, uh, yeah, I think the, uh, the last bit I ended the last one was um, something about uh, a guy in Texas killed his mother and his sister in 2012. You left off with uh, 32 things, I think it was, in the last one. Uh, I believe. You were tra- you, it was like 32 things. I already did that one. Yeah, that's that was episode 8. I could be wrong, though. I might have to go yeah, back and wrong. listen to it. You're wrong, because I remember where I wasn't able to finish, because you kind of cut me off. Uh, the gun, I mean, the first 2007 Halloween of Rob Zombie did, I didn't get a chance to fully finish it. Before, because uh, I still got Halloween 2, his version of Halloween 2 and 09 to do. And um, I still have the remake 2018 to do. And a little nuggets that I know people are uh, probably screaming going, what the fuck is it? Anyway, if anybody was wondering uh, the guns or gun that was you that uh, Dr. Loomis used in 2007... It was, let's see, Dr. Loomis handled a Smith & Wesson model 617 before acquiring a a 4-inch Colt Python, uh, 357 Magnum, I believe. Apparently, this Dr. Loomis, that that Dr. Loomis came came packing. (laughs) Anyways, unlike the... Unlike, bleh, take a drink, I already stumbled. 
Anybody over over 21, you drink, take a drink, I stumble. If you're under six, under 17 or 16, you don't get to drink. You just drink juice or soda. Unlike the original films in which Michael Myers remains relatively clean despite the carnage, in this film, Michael gets increasingly dirtier as the film progresses. I actually do actually agree. In particular, Michael's hands became progressively more caked in dirt, blood, and gore, which demonstrates his total lack of personal care and sole focus on killing. In addition to this, the lack of care concerning personal hygiene is a symptom of many mental health disorders and a clear indication of serious mental issue, mental illness. I actually learned that. I actually uh, agree with that. There's a few people that, um, a couple of people in a shelter I used to live in, which I call uh, West Hell Beach in um, Florida that had that issue. And boy, boy, were they fucking mentally gone. In other words, that's what drugs do. That's what a lot of illegal drugs do to you. Anyway, Sheriff Brackett's cop car, if anyone wondered, is uh, is a 1998 Ford Crown Vic P71. Yes, I know it's a, it's a Ford Crown Victoria. I'm saying it the way it's always been said. Bob's van is a 1979. Okay, this kind of doesn't... Dodge, Dodge? With a license plate reading DHP 73J. Um, last time I know... Last time I knew... Um, they don't make uh, Dodge, Dodge. They just make either a Dodge Ram or a car from Dodge. But 1979 Dodge, I think of probably saying Dodge Dart, I think. Or, I'm not a car person, so I wouldn't know. Although this film, although Rob Zombie's version, 2007, it is a remake that he directed. Rob Zombie himself, personally, does not like horror remakes. I actually agree. Neither do I. The knife that Michael used when he was younger was a 10-inch Victrinox Forstner with rosewood hand with a rosewood handle and a 12-inch Victrinox Forstner with rosewood handle when he was older. So there's the two knives if people wondered. In the UK, the film was released by Paramount Pictures, which acquired the worldwide distribution rights to the entrees or entries released by Miramax when it purchased 
a 49% stake in the company in 2020. BN, BN, that's actually uh, spelled B-E with a capital I-N, Media Group retains a controlling 51% stake in Miramax, which was formerly owned by Disney. There's another thing I was right on, Richie. You want to uh, pay up, or do I have to keep making you look stupid? I love Rick, you know, my little brother, but... I should say my only brother I got left, but... Right now, his head's up his ass. And I don't give a fuck about uh, not calling him out on it. Deborah Myers, here's some little spoilers for you. If you didn't know. Or would like to know. In other words, spoiler alert! Deborah Myers is the only person to die in the film that was not killed by Michael Myers. She's also the only character in the entire Halloween saga to ever commit suicide, which means her, char she, her character was killed by suicide. Let's see. An alternate ending was shot which I really do hate alternate endings, then changed by zombie. In it, Loomis survives and Myers has gone down by Brackett's men in front of the Myers house. Okay. Danny, Tre Danny Tre Trejo's, or however you want to say it, death scene was cut from the work print after studio heads, or I should say studio pricks, complained about it. Zombie lobbied to them, stating it is important to show how brutal and uncompassionate the character truly is. In the final cut, Zombie won and was allowed to uh, keep the scene in. In other words, a fuck you to the fucking studio heads. <laughs> I'm still doing it. <laughs> now, we know about the stunt woman that was injured uh, in the balcony fall sequence at the end of the film. But here's the explanation that Rob, Z Rob Zombie did, had said. Rob Zombie explained... That is why the film suddenly cuts to black and the actual landing is not showed. See, total body count is 17. With only one death not committed by Michael Myers, which we just uh, covered that on the beginning of the spoilers. In the work print and director's cut of the film, an alternate escape scene uh, was used. In it, Michael begins his escape from the asylum by killing two orderlies while they are... Oh, really? Do I have to say this? Well, I'm going to have to. While they are molesting a catatonic female patient in, in his room. That actually doesn't make sense. 
Unless they were doing it in in uh, Michael Myers' room. Though Zombie prefers this version of the scene, it was reshot after a negative reaction from test audiences. I agree with the negative reaction, but I believe what Zombie was probably trying to do there is show that that, actu that shit actually went on in mental asylums, which was always a rumor of things that would be done or what would happen to, to what, either female or male patients. So that shit actually has happened in asylums that are like no more. In the third Halloween film that Daniel Harris Oh, wait. Sorry. Rewind. Take a drink and stumble. The, this Halloween film is actually the third Daniel Harris has been in. We know she, we know she appeared in a couple of the older ones. And let's see. Her character was recast in Halloween Curse of Michael Myers 1995 and then killed off. Anywho. The teenage version of Laurie Strode does not appear as the protagonist until 52 minutes into the film. Now, everybody remembers the old, uh, the couple having sex in the Lindsay Wallace's house from the original 1978 one. I got a little bit of a spoiler alert on this one. The couple having sex in Michael Myers' childhood home, which is Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween, are killed in the exact fashion they were in John Carpenter's original. Although in the original, they're having sex in the Lindsay Wallace's home. The teenage boy in the scene, Rob Zombie's scene, as well as John Carpenter's original, is pinned to a wall with a kitchen knife. And the teenage girl is strangled to death while nude. Myers also wears a sheet, the sheet over his body and the boy's glasses before he kills the girl, just as he did in the original. And I'm going to keep on raking on my little brother. Sorry, Richie, but you still owe me 200 bucks. Because I'm fucking proven right. At around 49 minutes, when Micah Myers escapes from the sanitarium, he finds his way to a truck stop. At the truck stop, he follows a man, Ken Four, into the men's stall. After killing the truck driver, Michael puts on the trucker's jumpsuit. The very same jumpsuit actor Ken Four wore in George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, 1978. In the original film, Annie Brackett was the first of Lloyd's friends to be killed by Michael in in Rob Zombie's 2007 version, 
However, while Michael does attack Annie, she manages to survive. Deborah, the role of Deborah, commits suicide with the Smitten Wesson Model 36 Chief Special. Now, anybody remember Rap Zombie's first film, House of a Thousand Corpses? As I do. Tommy Doyle, Skylar Gizendos, the Halloween costume in the movie that he wore bears a striking resemblance to what Otis Draftwood wears towards the end of the of House of a Thousand Corpses. And no, everybody, I probably won't be seeing any of the money that my brother bet me. Why? Because he knows he lost. But anywho, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, let uh, Paramike read some uh, uh, dark news that he found. Uh, before, Or did you want to do the Year of Legends? I was going to do the Urban Legend one first. Okay. Because <clears throat> this one was funny. Okay, he's going to do the Urban Legend one first. Before he does a dark news segment that he found. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one Urban Legend story. Then I'm going to jump to one that's interesting. And then... Um, Another one about um, Halloween and the craft, which is kind of strange to me. And that's the news article you found. That's one. That's one of them. It was from um, Bloomhouse. Oh, he's gonna do those couple things while I take a breather and probably make myself a cigarette. Yeah. And so. then I'll kick off. Uh, Rob Zombie's 2009 Halloween 2 version. Things you do not know. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I'm going by um, IMDB, but IMDB.com is basically has the information that I was actually looking for. Because hmm. some media, media sites online, they'll have Exactly what IMDB has, but others are off. Yeah. So I'm gonna stop. Paramite could take over. Yeah. Here, give me the smokes. And then um, another story that I want to be talking about is the movie that Margot Robbie yes. stars in as yes. Harley Quinn and everything, which. For some reason, I came across from Cinema Blend. Uh-huh. But that'll come after. So, Urban Legend. This one is called Mama Cass and Her Ham Sandwich. <laughs> I thought this is fucking hilarious. Well, that is an urban legend that people were t- uh, saying back then. Yeah, this was submitted February 22nd, 2010. Ten years ago. And the word mama's in quotation. Cass Elliot 
death has been reported over the years as having been caused by choking on a sandwich while in bed and from inhaling her own vomit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of strange on that. She didn't choke. Yeah. Okay. That's questionable. The unfortunate story of Elliot's cause of death was started by a careless coroner called to examine her. He saw a ham sandwich and a Coke on a table next to the bed where Elliot's body lay. And he jumped to a very quick conclusion stating that Elliot, not displaying symptoms of any other sort of trauma, must have choked while eating and drinking lying down. Now, anybody would know better if you're eating a sandwich and you have a drink next to you while you're in bed, you don't lay down. You normally sit up. The story jibbed with the general impression of Elliot as glit no glitter I'm gonna destroy this world. Just butcher it. It's funny. Glitterous so it stuck. And that word is spelled G L U T T O N O U S. But the examiner missed one pretty crucial fact. The sandwich was untouched. <clears throat> Shocking. The investigating police officer noted that in his report, and a full autopsy showed that the actual cause of Elliot's death was a heart attack was not determined until an autopsy was performed a week later. But by the time it was too late, another of Rock's urban legends was born. Now, if a coroner and the police show up to a person's house that's deceased... Yeah. How does it take a week to do an autopsy to find out the cause of someone's passing? You're asking the wrong person on that one. I don't know idea. Because normally when that happens, there's usually, okay, let's bag the body, put it in, in the coroner's truck, get it back to the coroner's office, get it on the table, and let's... Scrub up, wash up, and get to work. Just to find out what's going on to see if we can compare it to the police report. That's what normally happens. But a week later? No. I don't buy that bullshit. Me neither. 
At 5 feet 5 inches and 230 pounds, Mama Cass was twice the normal weight for a woman her age and height. Wow. She was only known for her singing, not her looks. Talk about getting really graphical about somebody's height and weight when they're dead. Jesus Christ. Especially when they're dead in their bedroom on their bed with a ham sandwich and a coke. Bet you 10 to 1, probably the coke gave it a heart attack. (laughs) That's why I drink Pepsi. (laughs) The effects of long-term obesity, drug abuse, and crash diets had weakened her heart to the point of failure. Wow. But yet... She, uh, let me go back up for a second here. But yet in the picture, she doesn't look that fat. She doesn't look obese. She looks like a normal woman for being almost 240 pounds at five foot, what? Uh, five foot five. Yeah. Uh, okay, it goes on. Because she was a large woman, no, not what the picture says, and there was a sandwich on the nightstand when her body was found, an irreversible connection was made. That it was a ham sandwich. An obvious compromise commentary on her weight was added after the fact. However, no traces of food were found blocking her trachea. And there was never any indication that food food played a role in her death. I bet you 10 to 1 that coroner got fired. Uh, either that or the damn officer that fucked up on the report. And that's it for that. And it doesn't say who popped it in. But yet there's a video saying Mama Cass Elliot. Dream a little dream. That's a fucking movie. Yeah, I know. But it's a, but you can find it on YouTube. I don't plan on it. And the funny part is, is a overset, obese woman that does not look like Mama Cass from the picture. Yeah. With a dude in the bed wearing a yellow shirt, where he looks like a. But yet the report says only her was in the bed. And that was it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, we know now that the police back then were still stupid. Couldn't even write a decent report. Actually, back then, that's when they started being stupid. Yeah. I think they were stupid even way back then before uh, America was even formed. <laughs> to be honest with you. But, hey. 
History sucked anyways, because history was never correct. No, they were just teaching what they were taught. Not the common sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now we're going to jump into a little... Science. That's supposed to be almost paranormal. Which is mm. kind of strange for this one. Neanderthals and humans were at war for over 100,000 years. Evidence shows! What a, what a nice sound effect on that one. <laughs> this was not that long ago. Just this okay. month on November 3rd, 2020. Uh-huh. Around 600,000 years ago, humanity split into two. <laughs> Okay. What's that? The smart ones from the third? Mm, I don't know. One group stayed in Africa, evolving into us. Uh-huh. The other struck out over land into Asia, then Europe, becoming Homo Neanderthals. Sis. Okay. That's how it says. Neanderthals sis. Uh-huh. The Neanderthals. For English terms. Yeah. They weren't our ancestors, but a sister species evolving in peril. <laughs> okay. Last time I knew ne the word Neanderthals were cavemen. Well, Neanderthals are actually uh, a derogatory term for Canadians. I always thought it was for uh, cavemen. Well, yeah, that's... From the dinosaur era. That's what Neanderthals is supposed to mean, but over freaking centuries... People that lit that went from other countries moved to Canada started being called Neanderthals. Hmm. And there's another one that says, because um, this happened to my son, my oldest son, when he was in high, just entering high school, next girlfriend that he had, well, when he was seen at the time. His mo her mother had the gall to call my son a Neanderthal. Which he told me over the phone, I wanted to fucking bitch slap the bitch. <laughs> yeah. And right. I said, honey, there's two things. One, you got some Canadian from me because of my family. I mean, half the time I think my mother is a Neanderthal in a different meaning. The other is basically saying that you're gay. And not in the right sense either. Hmm. And I said, she obviously doesn't know you. But who gives a shit? Hmm. Obviously, this girl has so much shit wrong with her. I don't want you near her. Yeah. I or just... seen with her. 
Yeah, I guess there's one too many definitions for the word Neanderthals. But it goes on, Neanderthals fascinate us because of what they tell us about ourselves. Who we were and who we might have become. It's tempting to see them in idyllic terms. Living peacefully with nature and each other like Adam and Eve in the garden. Hmm, <laughs> I don't think Neanderthals were back then when Adam and Eve were playing in the garden. <laughs> Was that before or after she bit the apple? <laughs> I don't know and I don't want to know. If so, maybe humanity's ills, especially our terror, terror, terrorities? Violence. Just butcher it. It's funnier. Violence, wars, aren't innate, but modern inventions. No, no, and no. <sighs> Biology and paratology paint a darker picture. Far from peaceful Neanderthals were likely skilled fighters and dangerous warriors revealed only by modern humans. Uh, let's see. Cavemans are known as Neanderthals. Uh-huh. Which had to be warriors to survive the Dinosaurs to survive. Uh, see what else was there? They were the first inventors of a wheel. Yep. Until the meteorites came down and destroyed everything. Also, supposedly the first uh, people made fire or yeah. discovered fire. <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, top predators. Okay. Predatory land mammals and territorial, especially pack hunters like lions, wolves, and homo sapiens. Mm. Now, last time I knew in a dictionary, homo sapiens was one word, right? Yeah. They have it, Homo sapien. They're That's just it. trying to pronounce it. Neanderthals were cooperative, big game hunters. These predators, sitting atop the food chain, have few predators of their own. So overpopulated, which unfortunately is one word, not two. Yeah. Drives conflict over hunting grounds. Neanderthals faced the same problem. If other species didn't control their numbers, conflict would have. Okay. That's only because there's other male Neanderthals out there that would want the Neanderthal women. Yeah. 
It just depends on how good they look. And <laughs> back then, dating. Uh, back then, their keys can make keys. <laughs> okay. Actually, back then, um, if a caveman saw a cave woman, they didn't give a shit about the looks. They just thought about getting laid. Yeah, but their teeth can make keys. If you ever heard a comedian say, uh, hear that. I guarantee you, if you look at, a, uh, at an Eskimo's teeth and a cave woman's teeth, <laughs> cave woman wins by making keys with her teeth. <laughs> an Eskimo woman can probably make a car with her teeth. Uh, da, 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 let's see, where am I here? Oh, yeah. These territorial lead has deep roots in humans. Territorial conflicts are also intense in our closest relatives, chimpanzees. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not a chimpanzee and it's not in my DNA and I don't <laughs> eat bananas. I may have one downstairs for a woman, <laughs> but I don't eat bananas. Sorry. Male chimps routinely gang up to attack and kill males. Yep. From rival bands. In other words, if Did they're I not... Did I just read that right? In other words, if uh, the chimps... If the male chimps aren't from other, from a certain chimps tribe or pack, they kill them. Yeah, I, I, I understand about chimps beating the shit out of other chimps. I can understand that. But I'm wondering if I read that right. Male chimps routinely gang up to attack and kill male males from rival bands. When did, when did they start playing instruments? I don't think <laughs> we're talking that type of band, dear. I figured it would just say from from like other rival uh, species it would be more accurate. Okay. But bands, I'm thinking, okay, you got... One side of the male chimps ganging up to attack and kill male male chimps from a rival band because one side they play really good music, the other side they play shitty music, and one side is like, okay, we gotta go kill these motherfuckers. It's like what? That would be considered boy bands. Yeah. So. Continuing on, a behavior strikingly like human warfare. No. No. Because we don't get down on all fours. The, this implies that cooperative aggression involved in the common ancestor of chimps and ourselves. No. Seven million years ago. I don't think so. If so, Neanderthals will have inherit these same tendencies towards cooperative aggression. No. <laughs> Next one is to all too human. Warfare is an nostalgic part of being human. War isn't a modern invention, but an ancient fundamental part of our humanity. And survival. 
historically all people's ward. Fortunately, that's how it's spelled. Yeah. W A R R E D. <laughs> Our oldest writings are filled with war stories. Archaeology reveals ancient fortresses and battles and sites of prehistoric massacres going back millennia. To me, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't. To war is human. Yeah. Okay. And Neanderthals were very like us. No. Well, they, uh, when it comes to survival, they kind of are. They are. Yeah. We're remarkably similar in our skull and skeletal anatomy and share 99.7% of our DNA. No. Behaviorally, Neanderthals were astronomically like us, or astoundingly like us. Sorry, I fucked up a word. They made fire, buried their dead, fashioned jewelry from seashells, and animal teeth made artwork and stone shrines. Hold up! How the hell back then were there seashells? Because I don't remember that in history whatsoever. Remember. That there was ever seashells when this big ball was ever created. (laughs) There's seashells around any kind of water. Yeah, but I don't remember in histories anything saying about seashells being on his big ball when cavemen, cavewomen, and dinosaurs were here. Well, remember, not a lot of history was taught to us because the way I see it, history, even when I was in high school, was uh, politically correct shit. Not history on um, questioning, mm. which is why I liked my history teacher better. Yeah. If the Andersons shared so many of our creative instincts, they probably shared many of our destructive instincts too. Mm, I don't know. Violent lives is the next part. Yeah. The archaeological record confirms Neanderthal lives where anything but peaceful. I think they mis- misspelled that word. I above. bet you any. I bet you any any amount of money. They're talking about um, what. People that are homeless do. Mm. I know because I was one once. So wasn't and so I. weren't you. Right. We did what we had to to survive, even if it meant fighting. Yeah. 
Neanderthals were skilled big game hunters using spears to take down deer. Yep. Ibeck, elk, bison. What the hell's an Ibeck? I don't know. I gotta look that up. Elk, bison, even rhinos and yep. mammoths. It defies belief to think they would have hesitated to use these weapons if their families and lands were threatened. Archaeology suggests such conflicts were commonplace, which is one word. Yeah. Prehistoric warfare leaves telltale signs. A club to the head is an effective way to kill. Yeah. Clubs are fast, powerful, precise weapons. So prehistoric Homo sapiens frequently show trauma to the skull. So to do Neanderthals. That doesn't make sense because it's all (laughs) together. Seriously? Another sign of warfare is the parry fracture. Yeah. P-A-R-R-Y. That's how it's spelled. A break to the lower arm caused by warding off blows. Yeah. They had to say arm. <laughs> Bastards. Neanderthals also show a lot of broken arms. How many Neanderthals are they talking about? And how many arms? You only got two, not, not like like arms all the way up and down their body. No, I think they're meaning like all like a, a lot of other ones had the, uh, the same fractures. Probably at least one Neanderthal from Shadar yep. Cave in Iraq. Wait a second. How was there a, a Neanderthal in Iraq? Well, think before civilization. Unless, unless there was, of... unless there was an archaeologist that actually dug up a caveman in Iraq, I can understand that. Well, but I don't remember hearing anything on the news about an archaeologist in Iraq digging up a Neanderthal or a caveman in English terms. At all. Well, remember, um, there's so much uh, of this world that is is to be discovered still. Yeah, I know. From fucking deep in the fucking waters to fucking even land. Yeah. Goes on, was impaled by a spear to the chest. Ow. Every time I hear spear, I think of my great-grandfather. <laughs> Tepish. <laughs> Spike in the ass, anybody? <laughs> oh. I hope that person, get, when I got a spike in the ass and they have to runs. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it go in the asshole and write out whatever body part it did. <laughs> like I said, I hope that person didn't have the runs that day. Trauma was especially common in young Neanderthal males, as were deaths. Some injuries could have been sustained in hunting. No shit. Just like today. 
but the patterns match those predicted for a people engaged in interval warfare. Small scale, but intense. Prolonged conflict, wars dominated by guerrilla-style raids and ambushes with rarer battles. Okay. Just think, Tarzan. If that made any (laughs) sense to you the way I read it, please email me to let me know if that made any sense to you because the way I read it really didn't make sense to me. Just think, Tarzan. (laughs) If you understood that, good for you. The Neanderthal Resistance. War leaves a subtler mark in the form of territorial boundaries. The best evidence that Neanderthals not only fought, but excellent at war, is that they met us and weren't immediate overrun. Instead, for around 100,000 years, Neanderthals resisted modern human expansion. And of course, there's a map here and everything of so many different areas. I was about to say, is there a fucking whiteboard and a map to this thing? There is a map. I'm looking at it. But the only weird thing is, is that they have numbers on here. Yeah. But at the end of the numbers, they have YA. That sounds like algebra. So it's like, you know, there's like negative, and then you have this yeah. as well. And then some of them that have this, you have the YA and the runs that don't. You just have the negatives. So it doesn't make any sense. Which is kind of odd to me. Uh, And it goes on. Why else would we take so long to leave Africa? That's the question, people. Not because the environment was hostile but because Neanderthals were already thriving in Europe and Asia. It's exceedingly unlikely that modern humans met the Neanderthals and decided to just live and let live. Just think, uh, well, actually just think George Carlin when he said that. Mm, I was thinking about that, but then I also thought something else, but it doesn't make any sense. Just go ahead, say what's on your head. It doesn't kind of make any sense in my head. If nothing else, population growth inadvertently forces humans to acquire more land to ensure significant territory to hunt and forage food for their children. Um, for age, food for their children. Wouldn't it be for go, food for their children? It would make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. 
But an aggressive military strategy is also good evolutionary strategy. Who the fuck wrote this story? Instead, for thousands of years, we must have tested their fighters, and for thousands of years, we kept losing. In weapons, tactics, strategies, we were fairly evenly matched. That's because we're stupid. Education didn't teach us much. Of course, education was always wrong in a lot of ways. And that's what made us a lot of stupidness. Goes on, and this is a pretty long story. I didn't really realize it. Neanderthals probably had tactical and strategy advantages. They occupied the Middle East for millennia, doubtless gaining intimidation intimidated knowledge of the terrain and the seasons. However, to live off the native plants and animals. In battle, their massive muscular builds must have made them devastating fighters in close quarter combat. Their huge eyes. What did they have? Fucking bug eyes back then? <laughs> Likely gave Neanderthals superior low light vision, letting them maneuver in the dark for ambushes and dawn raids. The fuck they have? Night vision eyeballs? I don't know. Sapiens victorious. Or vicious. Yeah, victorious. Doesn't make sense. I don't know. Finally, the stalemate broke. And the tide shifted. We don't know why. Period. That should be a fucking question mark, you moron. It's possible the invention of superior ranged weapons, bows, spear throwers... Throwing clubs. Yep. Let lightly build Homo sapiens harass the stocky Neanderthals from a distance using hit and run tactics. It's a good thing these idiots didn't know how to build the car. Because <laughs> that sounds like something I'm, people do do today. Yeah. I think, uh, think that's what uh, what you're reading. Uh, that means for today for hit and runs. Mm. Or perhaps better hunting and gathering techniques. Let sapiens feed bigger tribes, creating numerical superiority in battle. Even after primitive Homo sapiens broke out of Africa. 200,000 years ago, it took over 150,000 years to conquer Neanderthal lands. Yeah. In Israel. Hold on for a second, and I can't believe it did that again. (laughs) But, anyways, in Israel, in Greece, 
Ark Ick whatever A R C H A I C Homo Thapians took ground only to fall back against Neanderthals counter offensives <clears throat> one word excuse me before a final offense by modern Homo sapiens starting 125,000 years ago eliminated them. This wasn't a blitzking or actually Rob Zombies says better in one of his music. <laughs> As one would expect if Neanderthals were either pacifists or inferior warriors but a long warrior of iteration no idea a-t-t-r-i-t-i-o-n words are hard ultimately we won I doubt that (laughs) but this wasn't because they were less inclined to fight In the end, we likely just became better at war than they were. No, we didn't. We still have a bunch of dumbasses that don't know what the fuck they're doing. Sorry. We stole a bunch of Neanderthals. We don't know what the fuck we're doing to win a war. Nor can we stop winning a war. We just keep causing more and more and more. Because why? We're fucking idiots without a brain cell. Not all of us, just majority. (laughs) Okay. That one's done. Now we're going over to... Well, should I do this one or should I do the other one? Uh... Take it. Um... Should I do the one from Bloomhouse from GameSpot, or should I do Cinnabablin? Uh, hold on, folks. I gotta get something. She's making a mess in the darkness desk. Shut up. Uh, well, <laughs> why don't you take a break so I can get uh, Halloween 209 out of the way. Anyways. Uh, This is also from imdb.com. For Halloween 2 2009, another Rob Zombie film. Let's see. John Carpenter was offered a cameo in the film. By Rob Zombie himself, but John Carpenter turned it down. First Halloween, this is actually the first Halloween movie to include Michael clearly walking around without his mask on. Until 2018, Daniel Harris was tied with Jamie Lee Curtis for the second most appearances at for each in the Halloween series after 
Donald Pleasance appeared in five of the films. Rob Zombie originally stated he would never do a sequel to his 2007 Halloween until the studio decided to make it. Then he signed on to write and direct because he didn't want someone else to ruin his vision. Let's see. This movie is the first Rob Zombie movie not to feature Rob Zombie regulars Sid Haig, or Hag, or however you want to pronounce it, Bill Mosley, and Tom Tolle, take a drink of stubble, Toles. The decision to give Lori the name Angel as her real name was meant to emphasize her as an extreme opposite to Michael. Lori Strode's birth name in the original films was Cynthia Myers. Dag Farch filmed scenes reprising his role of young Michael Myers but was replaced and the scenes reshot after it became apparent that Farch had notice- noticeably grown up since the last installment and no longer looked the same age. Tyler Maine is only the second actor to portray Michael Myers twice. George P. Wilbur previously portrayed Michael in Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, 1988, and Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers in 1995. Maine is the first actor to portray Myers in two movies in a row. Character actor Richard Brake garnered his role as coroner's assistant Gary Scott based on a personal recommendation to Rob Zombie from Sid Haig. This lead to break to break being cast as Doomhead in Rob Zombie's 31, 2016 and as Winslow Foxworth Coltrane in Three From Hell, 2019. Malcolm McDowell quotes Alex DeLarge, the character he played in A Clockwork Orange, 1971. During the press conference when he says, let's get things nice and sparkling clear. Whether intentional or not, Margot Kidder, or Margaret Kidder, however you want to say her first name, plays Barbara Cooler, Coolier in this, in, the, in this film. A character with a similar name to her Black Christmas 1974 character, Barbara Cohard. 
Rob Zombie has stated that the original Black Christmas is one of his favorite horror films. Rob Zombie was not comfortable shooting the first Halloween 2007 in the 2.39.1 aspect ratio, which is the camera model, as he was used to the flat 1.851.1 frame that accompanied his previous films. That means the actual uh, camera that he usually used. For this film, Halloween 2009, he chose to shoot the whole picture in six in 16 millimeter rather than the traditional 35 millimeter and he returned to his preferred 1.85.1 aspect ratio Christina Klebe uh, knew both Robert Curtis Brown her father in H2 as well as Nick Menel, her boyfriend in the first Halloween 2007, before shooting. Rob Zombie had no idea, and all the casting was random. Though when he told her about casting her boyfriend in the first film, he said he was looking at a few people, but he needed someone who could meet who could match her height. At around one hour and five minutes, when Lori and her friends arrive at the concert, the band is playing a song called Terror Train. Terror Train 1980 is the name of a horror movie starring Jamie Lee Curtis, the original Lori Strode. Daniel, yep, yeah, take a drink, a stubble. Jeff Daniel Phillips plays two different uh I'll have to read the whole line again. Take a drink take three shots, a stumbled big. Jeff Daniel Phillips plays two completely different roles in this film. Howard Boggs and Uncle Seymour Coffins. How would you like to have that for a character role? Not Howard Boggs, but Uncle Seymour Coffins. He is only the third actor in ever play, to ever play two different roles in the same film in the either Halloween series. The others being Nancy Nancy Keys and Daniel Harris. Ah, my favorite name. Dick Warlock actually plays three different characters. The Shape, Michael Myers, and Patrolman number three. The one that hits the Michael lookalike with his patrol car. In Halloween 2, the 1981 version, an assassin in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch.
1982. At around 41 minutes, Lori has a picture of Charles Manson over her bed. Yes, in case anybody was actually noticed that in the film, but wondered who was that in the picture. Now you know, it's Charles Manson. Later, at around 57 minutes, after Linda's father tries to kill Loomis, it is revealed that the gun was not loaded. Just like the gun Manson follower Lynette Fromm pointed at President Gerald Ford. Yeah, this is the fourth Halloween film to be shot in the 1.85.1 ratio after Halloween 4, Halloween 5, and Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. At 54 point at 54 minutes 20 seconds when Lori awakens from a nightmare the eye chart above her above her spells out fucked I'm just going to say that again cuz that was actually kind of funny in the film, in the movie at 54 minutes and 20 seconds when Lori awakens from a nightmare the eye chart above her spells out Fucked. In the scene shot at the exterior of the hospital parking lot, the location of the emergency room entrance to the hospital was actually the entrance to the spinal cord injury clinic at the now uh, at the now defect defunct Sepulveda. Sepulveda, however you would like to call it, Veterans Administration Hospital in the San Fernando Valley, California. Jesse Dayton, Dayton, rewarded an album as Captain Clegg. The album was produced by Rob Zombie and released on August 18, 2009. A music video for the song Zombie A Go Go was directed by Don Suenos and released online, while several other videos directed by Zombie were included on the film's DVD slash Blu-ray release. Mark Bone Jr. I'm just going to say his middle name again, his name again, because that sounds funny. Mark Bone Jr., who played Floyd, and dating Callie, who was Coroner, Ho Coroner Hooks, both appeared together in Sons of Anarchy 2008 as Bobby Elvis and Chief Wayne Unseer Yunsur, respectively. Betsy Rue, who plays Jasmine, was actually given the role during a reshoot as a favor from Rob Zombie to Roe, or Rue, however you want to pronounce her last name. Originally for Halloween 2007, 
she was cast in the role of Linda Van Der Kluck, but had to drop out of the film due to scheduling conflicts. She was recast with Christina Kaleeb. Klebe, sorry. This is the second Halloween film to reference serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, the first time being in Halloween Curse of Michael Myers, 1995, during the Barry Sims radio talk show. During the Halloween party in the movie 2009 Halloween 2, Lori is dressed as Magenta from the Halloween picture show. Yep, Halloween. Take a drink and stumbled four times. Fact chug. During the Halloween party, Lori is dressed as Magenta from the Rocky Horror Picture Show 1975. This role was played by uh, Patricia Quinn, who was also in another Rob Zombie movie, The Lords of Salem, 2012. Both House of a Thousand Corpses, 2003, and Halloween, 1979, were, bo- were actually both shot in 35mm film. Coincidentally, both films, sequels, The, De- the Devil's Rejects, 2005, which I actually liked that film, and this film, 2000- 2009's Halloween 2, were shot on 16mm film. Caroline Williams, or Carolyn Williams, cameos in the film as Dr. Maple, one of the surgeons mending Lori's injuries in the operating room. She played Stretch in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, 1986. Rob Zombie is a film, is a film, is a fan of the franchise and asked her to appear in this film. When the group of girls go to the party, they are all dressed up as characters from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Daniel Rubach, Big Lou, was also in the movie's predecessor, Halloween 2007. But his character was credited as Lou Martini. The Moody Blues song, Nights in White Satin. That's satin. Not Satan, satin. That can be heard in the hospital scenes. May refer to the vision Michael Myers has of his mother dressed in white. On the night that he escapes from the coroner's truck. Daniel Harris and Richard Reilly previously appeared in Free Willy 1993, which starred Jason James Richter, Richter, or Richter, however you would like to pronounce that last name, whose stepfather and 
Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home, director Dwight Little, previously worked with Harris in Halloween 4. The only actors to reprise their roles from the, fil- from the first film are Scout Taylor Compton, Malcolm McDowell, Brad Dourif, Daniel Harris, Tyler Maine, Daniel Rubach, and Sherry Moon Zombie. The role of young Michael had to be recast, and this is repeated, the role of young Michael had to be recast when Dieg Farsh had outgrown the role. The word fuck and its derivatives are used one hour and 12 minutes in the film. The knife Michael, Michael uses is a Victorinox Forschner with rosewood handle and a custom-made Bowie knife modeled after the hunter's companion Bowie knife. Now, let's get to some spoiler alerts, shall we? In the unrated director's cut commentary, Rob Zombie says that in the original ending, the three main characters all die, and Laurie Strode's psychiatric ward ward stay is really, in fact, her last thought as many mistake it as she's alive still. Let me repeat that again, just in case some of you are a little bit slow in listening. And to rub it in some more of my little brother. In the unrated director's cut commentary, Rob Zombie says that in the original ending, the three main... Three main characters all die. And Laurie Strode's psychiatric ward stay is really, in fact, her last thought. As many mistake it as she's alive still. Despite this being Danielle Harris's fourth appearance in a Halloween movie, this is the first in which her character has died. However, her previous character, Jamie Lloyd, was killed off after she was recast. At around one hour and 45 minutes in the director's cut, Michael takes off his mask and yells, die, before stabbing Dr. Loomis. Based on this scene, it marks the first time ever in the series where the adult Michael Myers actually speaks. This is also the first time the character's face can be seen clearly. Daniel Harris, of course, who plays Annie Brackett, was the object, I'm going to say that again, was the object of Michael Myers' obsession in the original Halloween series. She played his niece, Jamie Lloyd, Halloween 4, and in Halloween 5. 
Director's Cut Body Count. In case anybody was ever wondering. 20. Plus the two people on screen and the one and the one person off in the opening dream sequence. Theatrical cut. 19. In both cuts, two people are not killed by Michael Myers. There is also a pit of dead bodies that Lori falls into in the opening sequence. But it is not verified that Michael killed him. The original Halloween 2, 1981, took place entirely in a hospital. Although the 25-minute dream sequence at the beginning of the film, where Laurie is running from Michael in a hospital, is initially thought to be an intentional homage to said from Rob's, to said film Rob Zombie has since denied this, especially because he has stated that he did not even like the original Halloween 2. This is the only Halloween movie where the character of Sam Loomis pretty much dies for certain. He may have been killed at the end of Halloween 6, 1995, but that was never actually confirmed. In the unrated director's cut, Laurie is pretty much quicker to anger due to her PTSD and gets into arguments with Annie and her psychiatrist. These moments were cut from the theatrical version, presumably to make Laurie more likable. The unrated ending sees her turn completely psychotic and she is shot and killed by the police along with Michael Myers. Rob Zombie had nearly every main character killed off in the ending, including Michael Myers and Lori, though she only dies in the director's cut. To finally ensure that another film could not be made. Despite this, Dimension Films insisted on a third film. And Zombie walked away from such plans, not wanting to be involved with it. This film ultimately underperformed financially and was panned by fans and critics alike. Casting doubt on a sequel. After years of no development, Dimension Films and the Weinstein Company finally surrendered the rights to the franchise to Universal Pictures and Bloomhouse, resulting the Halloween 2018. Sherry Moon Zombie comes back as Deborah Myers, even though her character committed suicide in the first film. In this film, she appears once in a flashback to Michael's stay in the ward. And as a hallucination to a grown Michael Myers. Because these hallucinations never happened in the first film. And don't have much relevance to this film's plot. It's commonly agreed 
amongst fans and critics that the only reason they're in this film was just because Rob Zombie needed an excuse to get his wife into the movie even though her character died. Now, Rob Zombie, and this is the final spoiler alert, Rob Zombie had never intended to make a sequel and to make sure one couldn't be made, he had Laurie fatally shoot Michael Myers at point-blank range in the face in the first film to officially kill him off. However, because the film was a huge financial success, Dimension Films greenlit a sequel against Zombie's Wishes. He begrudgingly came back to direct so that nobody else could fuck his vision up. This resulted in a plot hole, as there's no explanation in this film for how Michael survived such fatal injuries without immediate medical attention. Especially because in the rap zombie versions, Michael is a human with no supernatural elements. Now, just so you know, finally 2009 is done. And let's see, what do we have here? Um, I actually got two things about Halloween 2018. Of course, it's from the same damn place. Ranker.com. Let give me one minute so this damn thing loads. Ah, here we go. We are going to finish this shit off, okay? Fucking commercials. Hate that, don't you? The 2018 Halloween reboot hit theaters on October 19th, and both critics and longtime fans were thrilled with the sequel. Script writers Danny McBride and David, G David Gordon Green talked about rebooting the Halloween franchise for a few years, and they were vocal about the changes they eventually brought to the series. The Halloween franchise has seen a lot of missteps, I might as well say a lot of fuck-ups, digressions, weird choices, and str even straight-up Halloween mistakes. But the 2018 reboot looked like an absolute barn burner of a film. And it was. The film received massive praise, along with the title of the highest grossing slasher film of all time. Let's go behind the scenes of Halloween 2018 to find out everything there is to know about what you can or would have expected when you've returned yet again to Haddonfield, Illinois. Now, this one, they almost recreated the original film's ending. During development of the 2018 sequel, 
A first draft of the script called for the recreation of the original ending of the 1978 classic. In the proposed opener, the famous Dr. Loomis gets killed by Michael Myers. Producer Ryan Turek spoke about the original script and said that director David Gordon Green wanted to fuck things up, man. I'm reading exactly how it is. And it's actually written, and I don't... And this is an uncensored show. Let's see. Producer Ryan Turek... Yes, I'm repeating myself, but I didn't fuck up. I want to say it again. Producer Ryan Turek spoke about the original script and said that director David Gordon Green wanted to fuck things up, man. The first scripted opening was a re-envisioning of the finale of Halloween. David wanted to fuck things up, man. He wanted to just mix things up a little bit. So initially, he had a scene in which we came in at the end of Halloween and Loomis sees the screaming kids, comes inside, sees the struggle between Lori and Michael. Michael pulls his mask back on. Loomis shoots him. Pushes Michael back through the doorway into the bedroom. Lori is cowering on the ground. Loomis charges into the bedroom where Michael gets the upper hand and jumps him. Loomis drops the gun and then Lori is holding on to the gun. But she's shaking so much she can't actually pull the trigger. Uh, it says they released a uh, clip of it, but no screen, but nothing. Go figure. Universal and Bloomhouse released a trailer of Lori Strode, which I don't know about you guys, but I can't stand teaser trailers. Jamie Lee Curtis, Lori Strode, and Michael Myers. James Jude Courtney in a violent clash. 40 years after her first encounter with the serial killer, Lori has to protect her estranged daughter, Karen, Judy Greer, from Myers. Let's see. The film comes out, came out October 19, 2011. I mean, 2018. Sorry, everybody. In fact, give me one second. Take a drink. Nearly 40 years ago. Nearly 40 years to the day of the original Halloween's 1978 release. The David, David Gordon Green sequel is cre uh, crept into theaters October 18th, 2018. It's just, it's not just the release date. That's similar to the first film. Jamie Lee Curtis told Entertainment Weekly, the 2018 follow-up manages to capture the tone of John Carpenter's horror masterpiece. And she's, and this is her quote, it is everything that the first film was. It's simple, it's terrifying. 
Let's see. Now, the writers, it's written, actually, by comedy duo David Gordon Green and Dania McBride. Horror remakes, reimaginings, and sequels are usually made by directors with a pedigree in the genre. The last Halloween was remade. The, to, the honor went to Rob Zombie, which makes sense because he's a guy who makes a bunch of horror movies. This time around, Blumhouse tapped David Gordon Green to direct the film. And he wrote it with Danny McBride. These two are known for comedies. For example, Pineapple Express, Pineapple Express, Take a Drink of Stumble, Eastbound, and Down. Those are the three examples. But Green got his start making critically acclaimed indie films like George Washington, George Washington and all the real girls to land the job Green and McBride went to Bloomhouse and John Carpenter with an idea for the film John Carpenter said to about both of the guys blew me away I might even do the music prior to reigniting Halloween Green was working on the remake to Sapira, Sapira, or Sapria, however you want to freaking pronounce it. Sorry if I butchered it. So, he's definitely keen to delve into the genre. Now, John Carpenter, he did give the film his blessing. When it comes to Halloween remakes, fans need John Carpenter to give them the stamp of approval, as he's the visionary who started it back in 1978. That's actually true. For the 2018 sequel, Carpenter was brought on as executive producer before the script was even in production. And he's been involved all along the way. He told the Guardian, in his own words, as he says, 38 years after the original Halloween, I'm going to help to try to make the 10th sequel the scariest of them all. James Jude Courtney, one of the actors playing Michael Myers in the new Halloween. Or, yeah, James Duke Courtney, one of the actors playing Michael Myers in that film. So Carpenter was gracious when he appeared on set and made sure he didn't hang around for too long and bother anybody. Courtney continued in his words, he wanted to come in, give everybody his blessing, shake some hands, look in some people's eyes. That sound, I don't know how that sounds, but to me that's kind of, ooh, kind of weird. 
have a few laughs, and move on. He was letting David and the Rough House slash Bloom House crew do what they do. Of course, Jamie Lee Curtis once again plays Laurie Strode. Has been in, Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode has been in and out of the Halloween franchise for decades. She's at the center of the first two films, then reappears in H2O under an assumed name. This time around, she's hearted and ready for blood. Or was hardened and ready for blood. In Halloween 2018, Lori's uh, was prepping on Michael's return for the last 40 years. It's 2020, I know that, people, but 2018, come on. You figure out the math. Her house is booby-trapped. She's good with a rifle. And she looks prepared to throw down with any masked figure who crosses her. Now, the original Michael Myers is back along with some new blood. What that means, I'm explaining right now. One of the coolest things, David Gordon Green has done in the new Halloween is is invite Nick Castle, the original Michael Myers, to appear in the film as the character he helped create. Originally referred to as The Shape, Myers moves like a cat through the original film. And Castle's movements help define the character. Along with Castle, who's put, who at the time was pushing 70, Green brought in James Jude Gor- Courtney, an actor and stuntman who spent a lot of time in monster makeup. When the director informed James Jude Courtney The original Myers was coming back for a few scenes. Courtney was reportedly elated rather than worried about his job. Courtney says working with Castle was an honor as he felt like their cooperation was a a passing of the torch. I definitely agree. Halloween 2018 shakes up the continuity of the series. Even though the movie is called Halloween, it's not a remake. The, f- the film works as both a sequel to the original film and a hard reboot on every film that followed. This means everything that happened after Michael Myers fell out of a window at the end of the original film has been erased. Michael and Lori aren't brother and sister. H2O isn't a thing. And Halloween Resurrection, where Lori is killed, definitely never happened. According to the first trailer, 
everything that occurred after the first film is simply a myth within the new continuity. To prepare for this hard reset, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride dug deep into the previous film's lore. And Green told Entertainment Weekly, in his words, We watched all of the Halloween movies. And I had actually enjoyed them. And I can actually enjoy them. But they're just like... But they just felt like such a simple truth to the original. I think by the time you add Michael and Lori's relationship, being family, or he's hurting his family, it brings that boogeyman out of it. I want everyone to be afraid of him. I wasn't. In this one, we're trying to go bare bones and tell a horrifying story of questions that have no answers. It's just bad shit that happens. There are some homages to the entire Halloween franchise. Danny McBride and David Gordon Green may have ditched most of the Halloween franchise mythos, but they've made sure to include several references to the rest of the films in their sequel. McBride had told Sci-Fi, the Halloween franchise has, made, has kind of become a little bit of like choose your own adventure, you know? Like, there's so many different versions. And the timeline is so mixed up. You just thought it would be easier to go back to the source and continue from there. However, he also admitted some of the sequels seeped into their production. That means is uh, we do reference other movies for fans he pl we play homage and respect to every Halloween that has been out there you can find an overt homage to the second trailer for the film at 1.57 I'm thinking one, 1 hour 57 but I think that's just the camera lens there's a glimpse of the notorious cursed masks from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Hopefully no one's head exploded, exploded while making the film. Danny McBride has a few sequels in mind, even though he was scared to meet Michael. I'll grow up to pull up. Hike up your skirt, you fucking bitch. You're doing a horror movie. You're directing it with someone else. You're not supposed to be scared of the fucking character. Everybody else is in the movie. Before pitching their Halloween sequel to John Carpenter and the executives of Bloomhouse, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green 
went a little nuts and came up with an idea to film two Halloween movies back to back. However, they ultimately decided against the idea. McBride told Entertainment Weekly, in his words, which I'm reading right now, we were going to shoot them back to back. Then we were like, well, that's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This could come out and everyone could hate us. And we'd never work again. So let's not have to sit around for a year while we wait for another movie to come out that we know people aren't going to like. At the same time, McBride says, said he definitely has an idea about where the franchise could go if the film was a hit. Despite being such a big fan of horror, McBride admits he was nervous to meet Michael Myers on set. And his words, as read, as I read, that day they were testing the mask with James for the first time. They weren't even shooting with him. They had brought the mask onto set and were doing lighting tests inside the house. We creeped in early to see that. And there he was at the end of the hallway, just sort of lit from a little bit of light coming in from a bedroom, shining on the shape. Standing at the end of this hallway, just looking at us. We were all like, that's incredible. I don't want to go back there. I know what happens when you go back there. Can you say it a little bit? Pussy? Anyway. David Gordon Green's favorite part of the movie is a one-shot sequence. Now what that means, I'm going to explain. In an interview at Dan... Yeah, Dan, take a drink of stubble. In an interview at San San Diego Comic-Con 2018, David Gordon Green spoke with glee about his favorite shot in the new in that Halloween one he thinks is going to fr- he he thought was going to freak out audiences and let them know he's not messing around which green told the interviewer some more some more I'm dying for Halloween fans to see the sequence or let me paraphrase because this is 2018 Green said he was dying for Halloween fans to see the sequence. It's a one-shot sequence when Mike gets back to work. It's a very long shot. A very complicated scenario that we took a long time rehearsing and strategized on how to to achieve it one shot. 
Michael did a little trick-or-treating of his own, and that's pre pretty exciting. The sequence green uh, discussed is probably the first half of the second trailer, which sees Michael Myers walk into an open shed and grab a hammer before presumably beating a woman to death in her home. Happy Halloween. Michael Myers won't be an overpowered monster. Now, explaining. Before writing their sequel, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green watched every film in the franchise to see what filmmakers did right and perhaps more importantly, what they did wrong. I could say quite a few things. Their biggest takeaway involved the overpowered version of Myers. The, the writers stripped away the unstoppable monster to give the character a more realist, realistic, frightening aura. McBride explained the decision to Business Insider by saying... At the end of the day, you're, de you're dealing with a masked man who kills people and it's crazy to see all the different sequels and what people tried to do, what might have been lost from the original in hopes of creating more story. So we're just trying to learn from that. And I feel what happened with Michael Myers, unfortunately, is in those later sequels. He became this superhuman. Nothing could really kill him. That doesn't make him scary anymore. For us, the way he looked at it, and it's much scarier to just have that man who is hiding in the shadows as you're taking the trash out to the backyard. Now, the Strode family plays a large part in the film. In the Halloween sequel, it wasn't just Laurie Strode fighting Michael Myers. The masked monster is going to have to, what was actually going to have to deal with three different Strode women. While Jamie Lee Curtis praised her role as Laurie Strode, she's joined by Judy Greer from Ant-Man and Andy Mach uh, Matichak, however her last name is, I know I butchered it, sue me. Better yet, kiss my ass. Orange is the new black, as her daughter and granddaughter, respectively. Curtis told Yahoo, or Yahoo, the addition of, of new Strode women makes the film more of an alternate version of the 1978 original. And this is what she said. If I had my druthers or whatever that's supposed to mean, I probably would have called it Halloween Retold. 
Because it's being retold. It's the original story in many, many, many ways. Just retold 40 years later with my granddaughter. The ending had to be reshot. After initial screen test screenings of the film, David Gordon Green and crew went back to work on Halloween, performing reshoots so they could make minor challenges, or sorry, take a drink of stumble, so they could make minor changes to the ending. This may sound like bad news, or sounds like bad news, but it actually, but it's actually not that out of the ordinary for a huge film like Halloween to be tweaked based on preliminary audience reactions. Bloomhouse intend, intended to do this a lot. Most notably in the found footage ghost movie The Gallows, which received reshoots for roughly 40% of the film. The Academy Award winning Get Out also got a new ending as producers felt it required a more uplifting finale. In a riotous reception, if, if the riotous reception is any indi indication, Halloween's reshoots were a, were a good thing. Jamie Lloyd did it uh, did it make an appearance? If you're a big Halloween fan, then you know Jamie Lloyd is just as important to the franchise as Laurie Strode. For the in uninitiated, Lloyd is Laurie Strode's daughter, who's raised without knowing her uncle as a masked serial killer. Lloyd was played by Danielle Harris four and five and went on and appeared in Rob Zombie's Halloween. But thanks to the major recon of the new film, she no longer existed. Even though Lori has a daughter and granddaughter in the film, neither of them are named Jamie. Harris posted on Facebook about how disappointed she was that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride erased the character she helped create. And this is her words. I'm bummed out. I've done four Halloween movies and I'm grateful for those movies. I'm forever grateful and in debt and indebted to the Halloween franchise. It's been good to me. What I'm bummed about is Laurie Strode has a daughter. It was okay with it when she had a son. But they're saying in the last one, and she has a daughter. And it's not Jamie. That's just kind of a bummer, I guess. Well, aren't we a little spoiled little bitch? Now, in case nobody knew, it's super violent.
It's clear from the trailer and interviews that the Halloween 2018 was going to be the brutality of the original to a completely new level. James James Jude Courtney, the new Michael Myers, gave an interview with Halloween Daily News where he discussed how physical the film is and he doesn't put his compliments while discussing the stunts Jamie Lee Curtis had to perform. Courtney said, Jamie Lee is tough as fucking nails. She is a bad-to-the-bone woman. He continued saying the film script, first and foremost, lent itself towards a far more physical nature. And speaking of Jamie Lee Curtis some more, she thought the film was terrifying. When a scream queen, like Jamie Lee Curtis, thinks a horror movie is scary, you know it's going to be good. Uh, While speaking with Yahoo, Curtis complimented the, the cast and crew for leaning into the most terrifying aspects of the Michael Myers story and not pulling their punches. Curtis had said she saw, she saw a trailer and she's seen some footage and it's terrifying. She continued coining a great phrase in the process. They went full tilt boogeyman. And I've never said that in my life. And I will say full tilt boogeyman for the rest of the years as I go until t- go as I go around talking about this. If you're worried about David Gordon Green and Danny McBride turning Halloween into a big goof or you were worried about it, it sounds sounded like you've got nothing to worry about. Ow. The X the X FX artist struggled to make a new mask. Meaning, makeup and FX artist Chris Nelson came up with Michael Myers' new look, but it wasn't an easy task. Nelson spoke to Entertainment Weekly and talked about the pressure and said you can't recreate that iconic image. I think the original, the mask, that mask, the way they did it, who it was on, how he wore it, and how they shot it, was the perfect storm. It was the perfect storm never to be imitated ever again. You just can't do it. So the goal was to try to get the form of the original. The expression of the original, the feel for that character. That was the goal. It wasn't trying to copy it. It was just trying to make it a step further 
it bring that character back again. The original mask. We all know has a fun backstory though. It was, and I'm going to repeat, it was a Captain Kirk. Basically William Shatner mask painted in Mars's now signature white look. And I think that was the last one on that. Let me double check. Yep. That's the last one, I think. Now, let me double see. Um, fucking commercial. Yep, I. Yep, I am done with Halloween 2018. Finally. Oh. And obviously, I have some shit in my email. <laughs> that usually happens. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let me happens. see. Let me just get this off. Um, <laughs> let me sign out here too. Oh. If I can find it, sign out. There we go. Let's see. Uh, and I got a couple of the uh, nuggets I've been teasing you all on. The nuggets. Oh, I just want to throw this in here before you do your nuggets. If you guys have any paranormal stories that you guys want to share with us for us to read it on the air, we have a dark line number. That's right. You heard me, folks. We have a dark line voicemail number. The number is 724-856-0031. Again, 724-856-0031. You can leave your paranormal ghost stories there, and we will play it on the podcast show so everyone else can hear it. So just remember, write that number down, 724-856-0031. One. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Which I worked hard on getting. <laughs> so, yes, it's there. I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, Paramount still has some dark news to do. Yeah. And then I'll get the little nuggets out. Yeah. Uh, in one of your stories, you did mention a blood bloom house. Of course, yeah. And from GameSpot.com, they have an article here from Bloomhouse. Yeah. And it says, Bloomhouse says it will never remake or reboot the Halloween franchise for one very simple reason. Okay? But then above it, it says, why Bloomhouse won't reboot classic horror like Halloween and The Craft. Mm-hmm. That kind of confused me in a lot of ways just because of the two different sayings. Yeah. But this was done November 3rd, 2020. It says, while reboots and remakes have been pretty standard... 
for the movie industries over the past decade or more, there are also the rare franchises that just keep moving forward, finding new life without starting from scratch. Yeah, I've seen that a lot lately. I don't know about you, but I have seen that a lot lately. Yeah. That's especially the case with the horror genre where beloved movies like Halloween and The Craft are being kept alive to tell stories to a new generation of viewers without throwing out the original films in their retrospective series. Now, it's kind of funny that they're just mentioning Halloween and The Craft for franchises, but they're not referencing Chucky. Yeah, of course. Pennywise, or It, Freddy Krueger, which is kind of odd that they're not mentioning that. I know. Now, I don't think they've didn't they done a version for Jason yet, a remake or a reboot. Uh, they Jason did a yet. remake uh, some years back. Uh, I'll have to ask a couple of my uh, horror friends on Twitter that I have now just how bad that remake was. Okay. yeah, Because that was remade. A lot, as far as I know, I've heard a lot of people hated it. Okay. More people hated it than people liked it. Okay. Because I want to I I find out more about that because it's just shocking that I haven't seen that or found it. Uh, in 2018, Halloween hit theaters as a direct sequel to John Carpenter's 1978 original film of the same name. Yeah. And there's two more on the way. What's more? The Craft Legacy picks up nearly 25 years after the 1996 original Craft film. I already saw the trailer. I'm not impressed. <laughs> Good thing I didn't see it then. Because I would probably probably would have puked up my dinner if I did see that. Uh, it goes on. Following in a new group of young witches as they tap into their dark sides. Either of these movies would have been easy to imagine as a reboot. And in Halloween's case... That's already happened once before. Least we forgot the franchise's ridiculous complaint. Complaint. I can't even say this word now. My mouth decided to stop working. (laughs) Compliment. I can't even say this word. C O M P L I C A T E D. Timelines. Thank you. Timelines and the two. Rob Zombie movies, many of us would rather forget. <laughs> I would agree. Well, Brad Dourif wasn't that bad. He was actually really good. Playing just a cop. the Rob Zombie movies. Huh? He, just the Rob Zombie movies that he did. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. I would agree. Yeah. The only reason I watched it is because Brad Dourif is in it. And well, I'm a I know fan that. of his. I know that. But just the creation of the Rob Zombie movies that he did for Halloween. 
people won't want eh. to forget it. I would go goes on to saying here, but for the founder of Bloomhouse Production, the company beyond, behind new installments of those franchises that was never an option. Speaking to GameSpot about Amazon Prime videos, welcome to Bloomhouse Films. Jason Bloom spoke about the importance of honoring the legacy of the iconic horror franchises his company oversees. He quotes, I think it's crucial. I think otherwise. What's the point? Question. I hate the idea of, yeah, that old one worked. Let's call the new one that, he explained. I think you have to respect what existed before you if you're going to continue it. I think we did that with the craft legacy. I think his brain and his mouth uh, disconnected somewhere <laughs> because he just did not make any sense with that statement. That's especially the case with Halloween. The next film, Halloween Kills, <laughs> will arrive in theaters next year once more with original series creator John Carpenter involved as a producer. Yep. John Carpenter created the whole fucking thing. Yeah. And look what everybody else did to it that got hold of it. Mm. I think to erase him from that as you went forward on Halloween. I don't know. I thought that was a weird thing to do. Bloom said, I always said if we were going to do it, we had to do it with him. And I'm glad I said that. I'm glad we did. Mm -hmm. Another disconnection from his brain and his mouth. Fans of Halloween are glad he did as well. The 2018 Halloween was a critical and commercial success and managed to bring Jamie Lee Curtis back to the franchise. Now we just have to wait a year to see what happens next in the series. Based on the new trailer for Halloween Kills, it's going to be bloody and disturbing journey. When the sequel hits theaters on October 15th, 2021. Yeah. I don't really know all about that garbage to be honest with you i mean i know you're the the horror queen of movies and everything oh i'm not (laughs) i'm not i just see these things pop up after we talk about them but honestly i think jason bloom's mouth and brain disconnected in this (laughs) whole fucking thing when he talked to GameSpot. uh-huh obviously he has to be that much of a fucking idiot (laughs) Already, I could tell Halloween for 2021, it's going to fucking suck. I can already tell from here on out, it's going to fucking suck. I guarantee it. Well, I actually would be the one to uh, say if it sucks or if it doesn't suck. Because I would be the one having to go see it. True. If this pandemic lifts, by the time this movie comes out, I will pay for your ticket to go see it. I'm not. Because I'm not a horror buff. I'll have other things to do and everything. But I can guarantee you within the first 52 seconds, 
<laughs> of the movie starting. You're going to want to get up and walk out and come find me and strangle me for paying for a ticket for that movie. No. And tell me I'm right. The way I see it, if someone doesn't die in a film after the first five or ten minutes, then I'm going to know it sucks. Hmm. <laughs> okay, either way. I was trying to be easy enough to just give you like the first 52 seconds of the movie starting. Yep. That's just where I was leading to. Now, <laughs> here's the little nuggets that I got that I've been teasing you all with. And this is from Screen Rant. What should we expect from Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends? After the, the success of 2018's Halloween, the newly announced sequels. I'm going to emphasize that. Newly announced sequels. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends bring many questions and lofty expe expectations. Following the success of 2018's Halloween, a direct sequel to the 1978 original, Bloomhouse Productions has announced two more chapters in the horror franchise to be filmed back to back. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Arriving, well, this is actually before everything fucking went to shit at this year. Arrive was supposed to arrive October 2020 and October 2021, respectively. With little, while little is known about the plots and of the sequels, co-creator John Carpenter Director David Gordon Green and star Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis are returning. However, we can probably make some deductions from the films based on the conclusion of the 2018's Halloween. Where can the franchise go? To figure that out, uh, we all may have to look uh, have to look back. Let's see. Where did Halloween 2018 leave us. The 2018 installment ends or ended with an uncertain future. Laurie Strode, Curtis, after a lifetime of waiting for Michael Myers to return, traps him in the basement of her self-made fortress with fire running down around him. Decades after being tormented by Myers, she finally defeats it. In the process, her daughter develops a newfound respect for her, while Loris's granddaughter is left traumatized and weary, weary of the dangers of the outside world. At the same time, there are, or were, many bodies, including that of Lori's son-in-law. Now, related, this is stuff related, pay attention, horror cin cinematic universe theory connects over 60 movies. Presumably, Michael survived, although we're left to, we were left to wonder how he might have emerged from the flames. He can't regenerate, so it's possible he'll be horribly burned, or my, 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 uh, ablibing hor horribly charcoal. Now, what are the themes for these new Halloween series? The goal of 2018 film was to bring Halloween back to its roots 
Ignore the tangled continuity. Don't explain why Michael is evil. Just focus on Michael as the shape. Focus on the horror. Related, Friday the 13th, Jason takes on Matt takes on Halloween's Michael in new fan film. Oh, God. Well, fan films are the new independent films nowadays. Because the upcoming sequels will boost the same creative crew. I don't know on that one. I'll have to see for myself. It can be assumed that AIM will carry through. Don't expect an explanation for Michael's evil. Except Lori to continue to be a survivalist. Expect to see how trauma can change a person's life. Only this time, manifested by the impact Michael has on Allison. Now people are probably wondering, who the hell is Allison? Will they find a body? The future for Lori's character might be determined by whether Michael's body is found in the Bernie basement. If it is, then Lori might accept to find a new purpose. This may be a story about trying to recover from the pain only to stumble once Michael returns. Related to the story to the stories here, Halloween producer wants to take a stab at Friday the 13th next. I think that just might have pissed off Friday the 13th fans. If Kane Hodder isn't isn't Jason, due to the fact he wasn't Jason in Freddy vs. Jason with some other guy. Well, but that again, Kane Hodder was doing a movie too at the time. So obviously there there's that issue that explained it explains it. Anyway, Halloween producer wants to take a stab at a Friday the thirteenth next. Okay. Explanation on that. On the other hand, if there's no body, we may be introduced to a more paranoid Lori. Everyone else thinks Michael died, but Lori knows she Lori knows he's still out there. Her fears will ultimately be confirmed. Additionally, Michael's death or disappearance could influence the other surviving characters. How will characters who didn't encounter Michael directly, such as Alice's boyfriend, Cameron, be changed by the rampage? Well, there will there be a social disconnect between the characters. Now, legacy of Dr. Loomis. Donald Pleasance played Dr. Loomis throughout the entire series, with the exception of Halloween 3, all the way to Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, his final film before he his death in 1995, while Dr. Sartan appeared at first to be the new Loomis. He was ultimately Michael's accomplice and helped to trigger the horrors of the 2018 film. More related, Halloween 2018 succeeds where the Predator failed. With these sequels at some point, it would be wise to provide Loomis with some sense of closure. Although Pleasance passed away, it may be important to include his legacy in some manner. There's no need to bring him back with CGI, like Tarkin, like Tarkin in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. But it would be good if the plot could offer a portrait of Loomis's twilight years. A rejected concept for 2018's Halloween included Michael killing Loomis. 
we may see a version of that idea surface in some way in the sequels. This, let's see, the end of the Strode or Myers family. Halloween Ends looks to be the final finale of the series. Horror franchises are notoriously difficult to end. See Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and Jason Goes to Hell, the final fr Friday, which both had sequels. Even Halloween had multiple finales already, with Halloween H2O ending fittingly with Laurie, Laurie Strode chopping off Michael's head. However, with Michael being tied so firmly to Laurie and her family, the franchise will need to conclude with whether with either the Strodes meeting their fate or Michael being definitively destroyed. Now, here is some stuff on Screen Rant as well. For Halloween Kills for the Halloween Kills story. Details re uh let me say that again. Take a drink four times. I stumbled several times. Halloween Kills, the movie, story details reveal bigger fight against Michael Myers. Story details for Halloween Kills indicate that fans may see the returning characters from Halloween 1978 team up to take down Michael Myers. The new story for Halloween Kills emerge teasing a big fight against Michael Myers. The knife-wielding psychopath was first brought to screens in 1978 when horror, me horror maestro, not sure if he's a horror maestro, John Carpenter released Halloween. The film is well regarded as one of the best slashers out there, mm -hmm. which resulted in numerous Halloween sequels and reboots. While everything after the original Halloween is often considered subpar, the Halloween released in 2018, that's 18, pay attention, reinvigorated the franchise. David Gordon Green's Halloween took place 40 years after the original film and ended with Michael getting trapped in Laurie's burning house. Plot details surrounding the sequel have been kept under wraps, but there have been several casting announcements, some of which will be familiar faces to longtime fans of the franchise. Multiple characters are returning from the 1978 film, including Lindsay Wallace, Nurse Marion, Nurse Marion Chambers, and Sheriff Lee Brackett. I hope they get Brad Dourif to do that role again. All of who are played by their original characters. Oh, hell. That means, uh, I think it just answered my, that, my question on Lee Brackett. The character Tommy Doyle is also going to be in the film. Oh, God. But Anthony Michael Hall is replacing Brian Andrews for the sequel. I think I just heard a whole bunch of shit just drop. That's a, uh, the guy that played in Breakfast Club, right? Yeah, he played the okay. nerd. <laughs> okay, that'll who be at, interesting. Who at, well, after that, he did other films too, but... Yeah, but that'll be an interesting uh, change for fair. him. It may be interesting with Anthony Michael Hall, but his forte isn't horror. It's more like, almost like teenage drama comedy shit. Right. And 
far as I've, uh, we've heard on the internet, how Anthony Michael Hall has a really bad attitude. It's been arrested for several times. Yeah. <laughs> While fans were already excited to see these returning faces, it looks like they may have a significant role to play in Halloween Kills. Please have Brad Dourif play, play Sheriff Lee Brackett again. 